Hello, welcome to this week's Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Dave Freezer here, sat alongside Paddy Davitt as ever, and we are looking back on a disappointing 2-0 defeat at West Ham for, for Norwich. Um, a visit to the London Stadium, a, a second new ground in, in the space of a week for Norwich fans. Um, first time Norwich have played a, a, a game at the London Stadium, which of course was a the London 2012 Olympic Stadium, following on from uh, Broadfield at Crawley in midweek, so... Uh, there was that side of things for the away fans, but sadly, <laughs> two defeats. So it's not not been the best of weeks, has it, Pad? No, it's one to test test the loyalties. No, not loyalties. That's the wrong word. Um, the patience, given the journey we had to Crawley and the fans, obviously. Um, I did see some because I mean I, that was my first sight of the London Stadium, and I was very impressed with the architectural panoramic nature of it but I did see some Norwich fans saying because they were in two separate tiers and that didn't do a lot for the uh, the atmosphere in terms of the volume the amplification of the sound um, so yeah I don't think everybody quite enjoyed it and they certainly didn't enjoy it when the first whistle went did they and certainly when the final whistle went but um, yeah there might be a lack of enthusiasm on this pod my friend because it's been a and we're obviously only covering it from a slightly removed state and there's no fan stake in it um, so with that said it's been a bit of a tough old week and uh, that probably is going to be reflected in the rather depressing nature of this podcast <laughs> well, well we'll try to keep it going but um, yeah the stadium it's too far away from the pitch that's the big thing isn't it there certainly there isn't that too much of an atmosphere you know there's a bit they're expectant West Ham fans anyway aren't yeah. they but they um, even at 2-0 it wasn't exactly rocking was it um, but just aesthetically I think it's a, a nice place to look at but there we go that's one one ticked off for Norwich fans in terms of the game as we say 2-0 defeat Norwich slipped to second bottom in the Premier League, which um, is obviously somewhere we're hoping that they won't spend too much time this season. But um, it, we always knew it was going to be a difficult start to the season, and so it's proved. You know, they've now lost three of their opening four games, so it's getting worrying. But uh, we'll come on to that. In terms of the stats, it was a two-nil defeat. West Ham had eighteen shots to Norwich's eight. Eight on, um, on target to Norwich's three, eight corners to Norwich's two. They managed 28 tackles, Norwich only 14. West Ham, 17 aerials, one Norwich eight. When you look at those stats, it seems they were totally dominant. But the opening 20 minutes before the crucial moment of this game, as, as I would propose, when Sebastian Haller absolutely cleans out Christoph Zimmerman, that was when things turned, and things really turned for the worst quite quickly, didn't they? Yeah, and... and- the stat that you've read out there that sticks in my uh, immediately forefront of my mind is the tackle count you know West Ham put in twice as many tackles and over the piece following on from the Chelsea game that's that's the biggest area of concern for me that Norwich without the ball are not good enough they're not solid enough in midfield areas and they're not not able to resist and what that's basically doing is really testing Tim Krul's ability to keep the ball out of the back of the net because uh, he's having a lot of work to do and even the centre-backs Whichever two you put in there, they're getting very badly exposed because with two wing, two fullbacks, two young fullbacks who are basically told to be high and progressive and get on the front foot. If Norwich aren't good enough to keep the ball in the midfield areas, then at this level, that turnover will happen in rapier-like speed. And there was too many examples where the two fullbacks are the wrong side of the ball. And um, unfortunately, Tribal and Leitner are many things, but they are not particularly good without the ball. So. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll dig into the other elements around why they got beat 2-0, and it isn't all to do with Norwich and their deficiencies, but I think ultimately that stat for me uh, tells me Daniel's got a bit of work to do over the international break. Right, let's do the Zimmerman tackle then. Um, I'm sure most of you listening will have seen it by now. Um, it was Sebastian Heller, of course, the player that I'm sure most of you are aware Norwich tried to sign back in January 2016. He's now a £45 million player that West Ham bought this summer. Did look good. He's a big lad. He did score the first goal. But three minutes before that, Zimmerman is going to make a fairly routine clearance on the right. Um, Hilaire dives in trying to block that cross, but instead it's pretty much a studs-up challenge taking out Zimmerman's right leg. Um, Zimmerman goes down, and on the back of Tim Close's uh, potentially season-ending injury in midweek, Grant Hanley also picking up his groin injury in training ahead of this game, it was just the the curse striking again, really. Everybody just was thinking, oh, this is how can this be happening? This is ridiculous. But it got even more ridiculous because there wasn't even a free kick given, let alone a yellow card. And VAR, of course, doesn't judge on yellow card decisions, but it does judge on clear and obvious mistakes when it comes to red cards. And, okay, red card is possibly debatable here, but it just seems that referee Paul Tierney really, to have not punished that tackle in any way and it leaves the guy on crutches and with his right leg in a protective boot that just cannot be right and and Daniel was fuming afterwards wasn't he quite right and and added to he pointed out Daniel that Yarmolenko scored the second goal allegedly elbowed Tom Tribal and was spoken to about that and Mark Noble his captain was brought over and spoken to by that official I uh, said to you outside before we got into the record, it'd be interesting to see where Mr Turney is two weeks hence when the Premier League resumes because it wouldn't at all surprise me if he is demoted um, because that performance wasn't good enough um, and his assistants haven't helped him and you wouldn't have to say the VAR officials. And in interest of balance, uh, you've just shown me the clip uh, and Daniel was asked about it in his presser. I think West Ham should have had a clear penalty when Halat is cut inside Tom Tribal, who's planted his foot just at the wrong moment and is definitely contact, and he's waved that away as well. So it's not like he favoured one team exclusively over the other. Um, but ultimately, the, the, what happened in the three or four minutes preceding or following uh, that incident only rubbed salt in the wound. And, uh, and Daniel was right, I think, to, uh, to really express his dissatisfaction in the post match interviews while caveating that with yeah there will be things his team can do better and they will have to do better and he will speak about that as he did after the Chelsea game ultimately given what Norwich are trying to bridge in terms of the, the golfing resource and the quality of player um, they do need a lot more things to go for them and in, whether it's injuries or key decisions just feels like they're falling the wrong side at the minute Three minutes after all that as well after the Zimmerman challenge the first goal goes in um, after Masuaku presses forward from left back, exchanges a one-two with Felipe Anderson, who I thought was excellent. Uh, they left Emi Buendia and Max Ahrens for dust, basically, and then Zimmerman, who is hobbling at this point but is trying to carry on, isn't able to keep pace. Low cross turned in easily by Haller. Ben Godfrey on the wrong side of him, and Norwich are one-nil down. And then they lose their captain on the day, and uh, Amadou has to come into central defence. And, and really, at that point, they're just scrambling, trying to find a foothold in things. It wasn't a good goal to to concede, but from that point on, things really took a nosedive, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, you got Amadou coming on for his Premier League debut um, in a position which Daniel says isn't his isn't 
the reason he was bought, he was bought as, or he was loaned initially with a view, of course, to, to make that deal permanent next summer. But he was brought in uh, to plug gaps in defensive midfield. And at the minute, following on from his emergency shift at Crawley midweek, um, he might find himself playing more often than not at centre back in the, in the weeks to come because uh, we await the outcome of Zimmerman's scans. But as Daniel said, the way his look is at the minute in that area of the pitch, he'll probably be out for the season. And if he is out for any length of time, given close is going to be out and Hanley clearly has this issue with his with his groin um, they are looking very threadbare in a key area of the pitch so um, you know it sticks in my mind now since the final whistle Daniel said like whatever this season holds they do need to have a, a very 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 fortunate run with injuries because they don't have the squad depth and unfortunately it's gone the other way and uh, yeah hugely concerning right well before we move on to the rest of the game, let's hear what Daniel Farker had to say about that tackle and about that key incident in the game. Listen, my feeling was we're dominating the first 20 minutes. Yeah? We controlled possession. There was just a team who uh, was playing in one half, um, just one team who created chances. And then, of course, the opponent has to set a sign anyhow. And I'm not sitting here and claiming for something or asking for red cards or something like this. But one thing is for sure, there was a tackle against my, my centre-back uh, and the ball was three yards away. And there was no red card, no yellow card, not even a free kick. And the outcome was uh, my centre-back is injured in, in the scene. And the outcome, because two minutes later we were not able uh, to, to uh, substitute him, um, there was a scene when they had a counter and my centre-back is not able to sprint back because he was injured. And he's exactly this one yard too late in order to block the cross. And the player who was there with his tackle against him when the ball was three yards away rewards himself and uh, it's caused a crucial goal and changed the whole, uh, changed the whole game. So, in general, the, the outcome of, of this scene, I'm not asking for something like this, so I think it was some bad intention in order to injure my players, but if we play after the rules, you have to judge it by the rules. It's not up to me, it's not up to uh, the opponent, not up to the supporters to judge it. So someone else is uh, responsible to do, to do this. And in this scene, we just played for the on, not, not even a free kick, and the outcome is that my player is on the way to the hospital and uh, the other player is um, on, the, on the shoulders of his teammates and celebrates because with his goal he changed uh, the whole game. And also, also the other effect that this foul had, so I had already two centre-backs injured, I had to bring a player in who was just settling into to life here in England, it's not even a centre-back, he's a holding midfielder, he adapted to this role and he was there with a decent performance, Ibrahim Mamadou, big compliment to him, uh, but of course uh, when my player, my leader, my captain has to go out after such a situation, it influences the game, and if I'm really honest, <laughs> when we speak about the tuna, there was an incident in the, in the first half with an elbow, and the referee realised the scene, and spoke with the player, and warned him, and he even spoke with his captain, and warned him, but he didn't react in this situation. And the player was there with this uh, incident, uh, scored the 2 0. So VAR probably is not allowed to overrule the referee because it wasn't 100% clear incidents. Um, but for me, this is really a perfect role model uh, that VAR doesn't work out always, that it's always a perfect outcome. Then it's more like also a few other guys around who, who should, um, uh, should judge it anyhow in order, in order to make football fair. And, in general, we are always self-critical. Yeah? Not sitting here crying and complaining and asking for red cards, not at all. But my feeling is that in this scene, there was not even a foul given. It's, it's tough to take. And anyhow, my player or my player 
is in hospital. We concede the goal because of this and the others are able to celebrate. If I'm really, really honest, this is really tough to take today. Well, I mentioned the stats earlier and Norwich did actually come out with more possession, only just 51% to 49 but I also had a look at the passing stats and Leitner, Tribal, Godfrey had the most passes on the pitch ahead of Anderson and uh, Masuaku for, for West Ham. So Norwich still did have a degree of control in this game but West Ham totally did them on the counter every time. They had that pace and power, didn't they, that Norwich couldn't cope with in, in defence, particularly as you've already highlighted, when the fullbacks have tried to push on and tried to make an attacking difference. That's left a lot of space in behind. Todd Cantwell um, very nearly was able to turn in an Aaron's cross, wasn't he, which uh, I think was just before the opening goal. And second half, he also clattered the bar, although he was already offside. That was a really nice attacking move. So it wasn't totally lacking in that side of things, but... Pookie was kept very quiet by a pretty decent defence, wasn't he? Yeah, and Daniel said something post-match that he felt West Ham had actually slightly tweaked that defensive formation, which was a backhanded compliment, clearly, to the, to the GOAT. That, um, they knew they really couldn't allow him to make those runs into channels, but the other side of that is, of course, without Steepman and Buendia really being able to link up with him to any really sustained degree... He's going to find it tough because um, he's trying to occupy two centre backs, and uh, and they were very aggressive in how close they defended around him. And a bar one shot, about twenty twenty five yards out second half, which he didn't really catch and went straight to Fabianski. Uh, yeah, he was very ineffective, and that's the fear that, of course, oppositions at this level are going to know swiftly that you you're going to have to stop that man to to really blunt what Norwich are trying to do and. Norwich almost have to try and reinvent it a little bit and um, and try and stay ahead stay ahead of that uh, curve because um, you know they didn't look like they carried too much going forward yesterday and that, that is a concern as well for me um, very tr- very troubling and I, I don't want to overhype it but it was very troubling the, the, the manner of that performance from Norwich uh, in defensive areas and going forward and um, as I say they need to be substantially better uh, on the resumption because uh, they're playing the ultimate in Manchester City but it's even beyond Manchester City because with the greatest will in the world you think we'll, we all know how that's going to end um, but it's the games that will come thereafter which in theory are going to be slightly easier and, and there's more chances for Norwich to pick up points but um, but that'll only come if they really start to learn these lessons uh, soon because um, we're seeing negative trends and that, and that is a concern yeah, sadly, I, I just can't see any way of them beating Manchester City. But you never know with these games. They become a bit like a cup game, don't they, in terms of the the team who aren't expected to win have got no pressure on them. You just never know if Man City are off their game. But um, the odds would seem massively against Norwich in, in terms of that. But I, I'm with you in terms of you don't want to panic. You don't want to write off the season on the basis of, of this game, clearly. But... That didn't feel like the Daniel Farker Norwich that we've been enjoying for the last year. That didn't feel like the team that um, that fans have, have so loved and have enjoyed seeing that sort of spirit in attacking, swashbuckling sort of style. And yeah, that is uh, that is a concern. But, you know, you do get bad days at the office. There were bad days at the office last season, you know. They, they went to Preston and, and lost 3-1. That, yeah, you, can't, you can't win them all, quite frankly. Um, the second goal then, uh, let's come on to that one. And Todd Cantwell... 
pretty much sparked it with um, he tried to keep the ball in play and then he turned it back towards Jamal Lewis but missed him and just allowed Andrei Yarmolenko to attack down the right Leitner couldn't stop him he found Mark Noble in the box whose cross was then cut out by Emi Buendia and he, all he could manage to do was prod it back to Yarmolenko and then to be fair from having a few looks at it at the replay it's, it's a decent volley past Tim Krull he, he takes advantage of, of the ball coming to him kindly but he finishes it well and from that point Krull was really needed to, to keep the score down I know Daniel sort of riled a little bit at that um, accusation in the press conference didn't he but I, I, that's how I saw it that, that Tim Krull was the reason they didn't lose 4-0 well, and I don't think anybody would dispute that. I think Daniel was basically saying, well, he had to more or less go above and beyond because we, we as in Norwich, had tried to risk getting a result and that meant Dermich coming on, um, another attacking change as well. Kenny McLean came on, didn't he? So Daniel's assertion was essentially that because they had to commit bodies forward, that left them more vulnerable. And of course, in that scenario... Then, but. I have to reiterate what I said. I thought before, before the when it was at nil nil, I thought the game was starting to shape up in that fashion that Norwich, when they're in possession, I mean you're quoting them passing stats from Leighton and Tribal, but you know <laughs> there was nothing too progressive in terms of I can recall that they carved out too many goal scoring opportunities. So if they're not doing that, then they're certainly not offering enough without the ball, and and as a result. That's why Krull had to be as busy as he was. He made one brilliant save from Manuel Lanzini, but there was three or four other very good stops as well. Um, and that, in the bigger picture, is probably important because if they get beat four or five, we'll say, hypothetically, not only is the goal difference taking a massive dent, it's the confidence as well because um, you know that feels a lot sorer than, than 2-0 will two months down the line from here where, when, you know, maybe how dominant West Ham were in that final 20-25 minutes won't really be remembered what will be remembered is the scoreline so yeah he's he's certainly one who has for me maintained his levels from last season sadly there's a few of them in that 11 who aren't doing that at the minute and if they don't Daniel needs to grasp a nettle and uh, needs to make a few changes but albeit within the context of an injury situation which is limiting his room for manoeuvre yeah I think Last I checked on our Man of the Match poll, Krull was winning it with 80% of the vote. So um, that certainly tells some degree of the story. And I thought his save from Lanzini, the, the header was was fantastic, a real great reaction save. And he's looked good. Um, I'll, I'll play you a little bit of our post-match interview with Tim in just a second because I'm, try- I'm going to try and look for some positives for <laughs> for you guys. It was a, a 50th consecutive league start for Krull. So obviously that's a big deal for him given how... Uh, career, how threatened his career was by his knee injury um, when his time with Newcastle came to an end. Um, this was this brings an end to a club record league run of thirty consecutive games of scoring. Um, so it's, yeah, the first time in thirty one games they haven't scored a goal in a league game. So that's um, that's disappointing to see that run come to an end. But and just to emphasise how well things have been going in 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 the league, it's it's a year since they've lost back to back league games. So. You know, it it's a difficult weekend. It's one where it's going to, as you said, right at the top of the pod pad, that it's one that's going to really test people's patience. But we've just got to avoid pressing the uh, the panic button for games into the season, haven't we? And I have to be honest, after speaking to Tim Krull after the game, I felt a little bit calmer. So hopefully this little bit of audio will do the same for you. Personally, some good saves in that second half. I know it's in a losing cause, but you seem like a really determined uh, goalkeeper in that second half. Pleased with those saves? Yeah, I mean... I wasn't obviously pleased with um, the way they were 
attacking because I mean there were sometimes just three or four strikers against two or three defenders so um, that's the only thing well like I said we will analyse it I mean I'm pleased I'm, I'm able to make those saves um, I feel I feel fit and I feel ready to go but obviously it doesn't mean much when you're, when you're losing but, um, but I mean I said it before I, there's going to be on paper a bit more uh, kind of fixtures coming up after Man City and we just have to keep believing uh, it took Brighton when I was there at least 10 games to, to get a, a hang of the, of the Premier League and I feel the last four games gave us a, a lot of lessons for us to open uh, to learn from and I think the boys can go away on pre- um, international break at the moment and I feel like yeah we know what, what we have to face in the next few months and how was the dressing room afterwards was it just about trying to calm everything down and you sort of analyse this tomorrow once everyone's yeah you're not going to analyse at the moment yeah. Um, but yeah the boys were down you know you, you're losing 2-0 yeah if I'm honest I, I, I hoped for a result here today I mean if, you, if you're really honest you go to Liverpool you you're not expecting to get a result there. Newcastle at home, yeah, we all expected to get there and we won. So then you have Chelsea again, another game you don't really expect to win. We gave them a right good goal and we nearly got a draw. West Ham away, in my opinion, is a difficult place to come. Maybe hope for a draw and it didn't happen, but you just have to look game by game and don't go too too down like uh, we said before and on a positive note a 50th consecutive league mm. start for yourself so you've basically played every league minute since you arrived yeah. here you just mentioned Brighton so that's quite a nice landmark to hit really isn't it it is I'm really proud of it um, there was a lot of doubts after my injury when people said uh, oh, he can't play more than 10 games anymore he's not fit enough so to, to play 50 games in a row yeah it's personally I'm really really happy for especially for a club like uh, like Norwich for sure from true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Okay, right, well, we've, got, um, we've got some questions from uh, you guys which we appealed for on Twitter and we had some come in. So we're going um, to rattle through them and then we're going to start looking ahead, really. We'll, we'll park that West Ham game because I don't think there's anything more, more uh, positive to come from it, to be, uh, to be frank. We've obviously got a busy international break and uh, we're actually going to a game Tuesday night, which we'll tell you more about uh, shortly. But firstly, uh, Will Grant, who is at WillGranty3 on Twitter, asks any explanation of why Roberts isn't even on the bench in my opinion he could add another dimension into our attack um, well the first thing to say is that he won't be able to play against Manchester City of course because that's his parent club so he won't be playing in the next league game but um, I guess it was just the the defensive concerns was it Pat? Well I mean I didn't I didn't ask him about Roberts after the game against West Ham but I did ask him why he didn't involve against Chelsea and that was his response that on that occasion he wanted Cruel on the bench uh, and defensive cover um, Closer, sorry, yeah. So he played in midweek thereafter at Crawley. Um, so there was no issues there in terms of what he's seen. But I, you know, in a losing cause, he, he, I don't think anybody bar Amadou really pushed pushed their claims. So wasn't surprised not to see him if he wasn't wasn't making a Chelsea match day squad in the Premier League. Then, but what I would say is obviously with Hernandez um, unavailable now for the foreseeable, they do look a little bit samey in that final third in terms of how they can change a game. Um, and if I'm honest, I think I'd probably rather see him on a on a bench than McLean. That's just a personal preference. Um, because what I saw in pre season and given he's you know, you are not at Man City if you don't have something about you and uh, and he's young enough to to get better with the right environment and you'd hope with Farker's coaching. So it is a little bit surprising. Yeah, it is a little bit surprising that he's now not actually making squads, um, as such, because I thought there was enough evidence in pre season that 
Um, there's a player there who could maybe bring something to the mix, and without Hernandez, I think they're sadly lacking a little bit of variety. Yeah, um, at Crawley, I thought he was trying too hard, Roberts. He, he did hit the post, and he did set up Wendia for the one that he then hit the crossbar with, but I thought he was trying to force things too much, like a lot of the Norwich players were at Crawley. Heiser, in particular, I didn't think was particularly impressive at all. So um, I'm sure he'll come into it, but yeah, I, I have to admit that O'Neill's kind of out of my, my mind at the moment, and you just saying that yeah, reminds you that his pace would have really offered that different option, wouldn't it? So um, we'll sh- we shall see how things develop with Patrick Roberts. Canary Mark, who is at, uh, at Mark underscore Woodruff on Twitter, asks, we are in the biggest and best league in the world and we have no cover at centre-half, brackets, even though the fans knew Hanley is dodgy and closer is injury-prone. Close brackets. How could this happen and have we a right to ask why? Well, um, in terms of injuries... Um, of course, they, they knew Zimmerman was injured in pre-season. Um, Closer was involved in pre-season and then um, gets this uh, serious injury and then he'd had a few hip issues in pre-season, so that was uh, a pain. Um, there were a few whispers of Hanley potentially going in, in the summer, weren't there, with Blackburn wanting him to, to go back. But as far as, as far as I'd heard, at least, um, Hanley didn't even want to entertain the thought of, of leaving. He wanted to stay here. So um, I guess that sort of would have made a bit of a decision for um, for Stuart Webber. Uh, ben Godfrey, you know, there's no no contention really there. So you got four and then they brought in Amadou. But now in hindsight, I suppose, it looks like, yeah, they could have done with one more. But if, if it hadn't been for the closer injury, then I don't think many people would be saying that, would they? Absolutely. I think it is a hindsight question, that really, um, for me. Um you know, hypothetically, Pukki gets an injury in pre-season. Would you say they were particularly covered with Dermic, who's got his own injury problems, Ida and Shrebeni? So, there, but for the grace of God, really, that it's 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 one area it's one area of the pitch and not another. But the reality is, in terms of a, a squad overview, we've spoken about this in the past that they didn't. Well, in fact, the situation he inherited was this bloated squad where there was, in his words. Every Saturday there would be lads in that Norwich dressing room who knew they were not going to be nowhere near it. And what type of dynamic is that? Uh, because it doesn't really push a club forward if you've got this bloated group of players where only a very small selection of them are going to be available. And ever since that point, really, every subsequent transfer window has been designed to almost get a fighting fit, battle-hardened, smaller group of players who all feel they've got a chance to play. Now... They weren't. They wasn't. Sorry, caught out on the championship march to promotion by that policy. Um, there was a few dicey occasions. I remember going to Sheffield Wednesday with Alfie Payne and Timmy Odesina on the bench because uh, concerns around Jamal Lewis and and if Jamal had not made it that day, you know what would have happened. And but they got away with it. You could say, but just right here, right now, to start of the Premier League season. Well, really, since since Zimmerman's injury and uh, surgery in the summer, it just seems to be that. Central defence, it's one thing after another. Um, but what, what do you do? What do, what do you do if you're Norwich? You, you, as I say, it, it flies in the face of what Weber and Farker want, which is, which is a, a very tight squad. They don't want six or seven players for every position. So, you know, as I say, it's got them into the Premier League, so you, you have to really back their judgment on that. But in the current climate now, particularly if Zimmerman's out for any length of time, uh, looks like Close will be out for the season, and then Hanley has this ongoing groin issue. It, it looks alarmingly light but one final thing on that Daniel was asked after the game yesterday would he now go into the free agent market categorically no he's not going to do that he's going to go with these guys and um, 
if it's Zimmerman out for any length of time, then I think we will be seeing Amadou partnering Godfrey. And don't ask me what would happen if either of them got an injury. <laughs> and you can say for these injuries with Closer and Zimmerman that neither of them were because of fitness. It's not you know things that have happened in training. They are impact injuries in games that are accidental to an extent. All right, Haller was. Uh, um, one where it was a purposeful tackle that was a bad tackle but um, you know I don't think he was meaning to hurt Zimmerman was he so you know there is a, an element of bad luck in it but um, there's not much you can do really transfer window is closed so um, if it comes to it then I guess a young lad has to come in or, or Jamal Lewis has to step in or even Alex Tetty will be turned to but um, let's just hope it doesn't get to that they've got two weeks now um, we will obviously be hoping to hear something about Christoph Zimmerman's situation during the international break but who knows that might take a while to settle down and and Grant Hanley as well so that's going to be um, something that's dominating Norwich thoughts in in the next couple of weeks Cameron Miser who is at be the big dog on Twitter uh, I'll put this one to you Paddy how does Amadou look it's one thing to watch him on TV but how does he move off the ball a uh, small sample obviously we've only really seen him in, in, in two sort of games and I liked I liked what I saw at Crawley. Yeah, very difficult to judge on Saturday because, as I say, he was really, really thrown in there against clearly. Whatever you think about his tackling and technique, he's a very good operator. Haller, he knows where the goal is. Very mobile, big, powerful presence. So, and the issues we touched on in terms of the lack of protection in midfield, that was a tough gig for him. But I've, what I've seen, he's an athlete. He covers the ground very well. Um, and to echo what Daniel said, he's a defensive midfielder, so let's see him in his proper position before we pass judgment on him. You know, I feel it's now crying out for one of Tete or Tribal to come out of that team, uh, and an Amadou or, or a Tete, another combative defensive midfielder, to go in there, and, and then we might really start to see um, what he's got in his locker. But you know, you only have to look at where he was last season. He played thirty plus games for a team in Spain, Sevilla, who finished top six. So he's clearly got ability. Uh, and if he's played in the, his preferred position, then you would think he would improve what Norwich already have in that area of the pitch. Yeah, I think he looks quite um, composed and classy on the ball from what I've seen so far. Not sure if his communication is quite up to it yet. He's literally still settling in because I don't think he speaks too much English. So um, I think it's uh, it could well be good that he's got a couple of weeks on the training ground to really bed in with, uh, with the team because he, he may well find himself facing one of the best teams in the world in a couple of weeks' time. So let's hope he has a good couple of weeks in training. Ollie Starling asks, Is it time for Marco Steepman to be dropped? I feel he's been consistently underperforming this season, offering little in both our attack and tracking back. Well... Clearly, Stephen wasn't great on Saturday at West Ham, but I would say Wendia was definitely worse than Stephen. Wendia just had a mare of a game. I don't know what happened for him on Saturday. That was by far not the Emmy Wendia that we've come to sort of know and love. You think even Chelsea the previous week, he was he set up one goal. He was in the thick of the other. That was him at his creative best, and it just looked like on Saturday. It, things wouldn't work for him he got frustrated at points he wasn't even tracking back on things which I found quite um, disconcerting because he's normally so tenacious in things it looked like the frustrations really got the better of him so I'm I'm personally more concerned by by Buendia but I think if Steepman doesn't start having uh, an impact on the game and, and linking with Pookie in the way that he was doing last season then I don't think it's going to be too long before Kenny McLean or, or Mario Vrancic gets gets an opportunity in that sort of number 10 role. Maybe even Todd Cantwell, because that's kind of the role that he prefers, isn't it? Uh, where do you stand on Marco? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's an alarming one now, really, because I can only think of that ball he threaded through for the third goal against Newcastle. I don't 
I don't recall him having any real impact on any of the other games. Um, and it's a shame, and it's fine margins, because at Liverpool, you know, when the scores were nil-nil, I think, or one-nil Liverpool, he had two or three good opportunities in front of the cop. Now, he rifles one of those in. You just, you just think the surges of confidence that goes through his body that I'm here on the Premier League stage against the champions of Europe, and I'm good enough to be actually influencing games. And it might have gone the other way. It's very fine margins. But unfortunately, maybe... Maybe he's realised and he's not alone in this. That you know the step up is massive, and uh, and he might have a few self doubts because um, you know he's not he's nowhere near the player in terms of the influence that he was towards the back end of last season. Um, and the break might have come at a good time for him because he just reassess and maybe think what he needs to change in his game or to adapt or get better at. But he doesn't look like a player playing with confidence to me and that is a concern because really Norwich cannot afford as they did on Saturday for me midfield areas I thought that as a unit they were they were poor they were off it and uh, if more than one or two in that area of the pitch are not at it then Norwich are going to lose a lot of games and there's surges in confidence that you mentioned there we've seen it with Pucky haven't we you know he gets off the mark second half of Liverpool and straight away that lifted that pressure off his shoulders he did have one on Saturday Stephen didn't he that he just rifled loads of Fabianski so yes um, all eyes are well all eyes are on everyone at the moment no no one in the Norwich team is really doing enough to cruel apart apart from cruel and obviously Pucky's already laid down that uh, that marker isn't he but beyond that I don't think anyone's particularly nailed down I mean even Max Ahrens and Jamal Lewis have got to improve in some facets haven't they Lewis Lewis was uh, good, um, and Josip Dermot, I didn't actually realise until I saw the replay, his late chance, which there was good movement actually to get between the two centre-backs, it did clip the outside of the post, didn't it? So yeah. that was a nice uh, nice cross from Kenny McLean, but um, I think we'll uh, park that there. Thanks for thanks for your questions. Um, we did have an interesting finish to the day, didn't we? We did. Ch- chasing the train. If you were an Norwich fan, standing on uh, Stratford train station platform 10, uh, about 6.40, you would have seen two... Uh, red and sweaty EDP reporters have pop up on platform 10A. Not the right platform. Not the right platform. And then thinking, oh no, we've got to run again. Yeah. <laughs> and I was carrying quite a heavy laptop bag as well. Um, we just about managed to make that train. But um, yeah, we... Uh, don't you f- missing out the barrier as well? The barrier, yeah. We, well, we ended up running... Basically, we, got on the, we were booked on the 640 train when we thought we had asked to be booked on the 740 train so then we went oh dear this is going to be cutting it fine we'll be alright we'll be alright it's about a 15 minute walk from the stadium and uh, we got a brisk walk on didn't we and then we're going through what's it called Westfield, uh, Westfield uh, shopping station at shop, shopping centre yeah. um, end up running through there because we're getting a bit worried then we get to the ticket barrier my ticket will not be accepted despite the fact I've got the same one as you Thankfully, the steward waved us through. We thought we were going to miss the train, didn't we? And we just about made it with sweat dripping off our foreheads. Um, so that made for quite an interesting uh, finish to the day. But then there was no seats, mate. No seats. Thank you, uh, Greater Anglia. That seemed like a very overly subscribed train to me because there were a lot of people stood up. So um, whether that's par for the course, I don't know. But we were quite looking forward to a sort of relaxed trip home, weren't we? Yeah. I mean, it was only... Was it Ipswich before we got a seat? Um but yeah, that wasn't that wasn't good. It didn't it didn't in, add to the enjoyment of the factor of the day. That is for sure. So we might need to rethink that again, mate. Yeah. But photographer Paul Cheston got his picture with uh, some bubbles blowing. He so. needs to sort out where his loyalties lie. That man. <laughs> you know, he makes out he's a Norwich fan, but he's really a West Ham fan. We all know that. But uh, yeah, check out his what, what would he put it on his Twitter page or his Facebook page? One yeah, of the I two. Think both. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be having words at Oxford. 
the accent does give him away a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't. I guess he. Uh, we don't really get much of a chance to talk to Paul after games, do we? But I guess he probably did have slightly conflicted emotions about seeing Norwich play badly and uh, and West Ham winning. But um, there we go. As I say, and we've got loads to look uh, or to keep an eye on during the international break. Pookie is of course away. You have got the three England under twenty one lads in Campwell, Aaron's, Godfrey. They are all off. Hanley, we now presume, won't be joining up with Scotland, which is another blow to his injury situation um, Josip Dermic isn't with Switzerland and of course Tim Closer isn't uh, Mario Vrancic isn't in the Bosnia squad either who else we've got Jamal and Michael McGovern that's the Northern one. Ireland and they could be playing Germany in Euro qualifying as well so um, the other one's a lo- friendly against Luxembourg so that's that could be a good a big game for Jamal um, but before uh, we sort of properly turn our attention to international duty it's the EFL trophy which Norwich haven't been in the last two seasons but they were the season before that um, where the under 21s as it is it's under 21s plus two overage players take on first teams from the lower leagues so it's Oxford United away on Tuesday night and they've also got Crawley wonderful we're going back there in a few weeks and uh, Portsmouth which will not be easy I wouldn't have thought Fratton Park I'm quite looking forward to that because I've never been to to Fratton Park although it's a you know, a bit of a long journey, but Oxford is the one where it starts. But we, um, we're not too sure on what we're going to see on sort of the uh, the team front, really. Are we? We're not too sure on what to expect. Well, I mean, you made the point before we sat down to record that it isn't just the first team dimension of that. At youth, at development level, there will be lads like Ad said, Fitzpatrick, Ida. They will presumably have gone away internationally as well, so you can take them out of the equation, which does leave you scratching your head a little bit. I mean, you talk about the last time Norwich were in it. I distinctly remember me and you going to the Barnet game, <laughs> yeah. um, where Oliveira played, Alex Pritchard played, Josh Murphy. Murphy played, and there might have been one or two others as well. So they've clearly tightened up on the rules in terms of first team slash age group players. But yeah, I suppose we don't want to really open that can of worms with the football league sort of clubs in the competition. But from purely self interest of Norwich's perspective, it would be far more. Uh, advantageous to, to Norwich moving forward if they could have played two or three other overage players I'm thinking like a Heiser for example or even an Alex Tete give him a run out so yeah we will we'll see I mean we, I'm going to pop down and have a chat with David Wright on Monday afternoon at Colney um, under 23's development coach so he might uh, enlighten us a little bit further but yeah um, it does feel like they, they have limited options there if, if you subtract the better development players who are going to be away with their countries and the fact that the rules of the competition state only two overage players so but you know whoever gets it gets the game it should be a reasonably good test because I think Oxford uh you know what are they league one yeah I mean they drew with my boys Saturday so they must be half decent so um and and you know just just that competition as a development tool has to be something Norwich will embrace and, and over the entire piece when the international lads are back um Maybe the one they can progress in, and, and who knows, there might be a, a tasty East Anglian derby in the uh, the knockout stages to look forward to. Who knows? Um, actually, it, it reminded me the other day when um, when Godfrey Campbell Aaron's got called up for the 23s. I did a bit of a profile piece, didn't I, on sort of their development to this point. And Godfrey got sent off in the trophy, didn't he? When Swansea. they got against Swansea yeah. at Carrow Road um, in the uh, first knockout round because they breezed through the group stages, they smashed. Peterborough six one I think Barnet was five nil wasn't it and I think Madison now now you've said that I think Mad- Madison yeah. played against Peterborough he did yeah because yeah. that's when he was still sort of early days of um, oh no that's before he went to Aberdeen wasn't it yeah um, I think Pinto might have even Evo Pinto might have yeah. even played in that Peterborough game 
it, well in the Swansea game in the quarterfinals I think I'm pretty sure Closer and Russell Martin were in defence no, but right. they managed to lose 1-0 because God, Godfrey got sent off so whether one of them came off the bench I'm, I'm, I'm not sure but to emphasise your point they have really tightened up the rules in terms of the academy the Premier League academies or invited academy category 1 academies being able to, to play too much of a strong team but equally for the lower league teams the trophy is not a priority for them the, the, the attendances will be low won't they at the group stages it's I think they tend to from what I know um, you know I've got friends who support teams at that level they don't take it particularly seriously but then if you find yourself in the regional quarterfinals or whatever you think well hang on we're three games from Wembley let's yeah. let's give it a crack yeah. um, so I think Cov have made Cov have made the final of the trophy, made it. Haven't they? they won it, my friend. Won it? Yeah, I was there. Uh, who did they play? Exeter, I think they beat. Uh, you put me on the spot there. That wasn't that long ago, was it? A couple no, of years, no, two, no. three years ago. No, I think they won three one on the day. Missed the first goal because I was still having a beer. It was straight after <laughs> half time, and you're not allowed to take drink back out, uh, as I'm sure most Norwich fans know from the playoff final. But uh, yeah, so that wasn't the that wasn't a good start to the day. Missing the first goal, but they did add a second and third. But but your point is is valid at that point of the competition. I mean, Kov took, well, I don't know, if Tommy had thirty five thousand. Um, so when you get to the business end, it is a fantastic opportunity. Sh- Shrewsbury with Carter Morris and Ben Godfrey didn't they get to the final? They did, yeah. Yep. So um, yeah, maybe at this stage there's a little bit of the uh, well, that's another fixture we don't really need from both clubs' perspective at the group stage. But as I say, repeating myself, if Norwich could get themselves through the group and in and into the End business end of this competition as a development tool. What's what's not to like about you know playing in front of half decent crowds against good good opposition football league opposition? So yeah, it'll be interesting when we speak to David right on Monday. Just what his approach is, you know, whether it is or oh, well, we could do without this sort of competition now, or whether it is yeah, this is a fantastic opportunity for my lads. None of the invited academies have got to the final yet. I'm sure Manchester City or Chelsea will get there at some point. I, I have covered a trophy final once myself as well during my scunny days, 2009. They lost 3-2, quite embarrassingly, to Luton, who were League 2 side at the moment, at the time. And they had Norwich Loney's, Rossi Jarvis, Chris Martin in the side. And there was one other... In, but Mickey Spillane, Spillane as well, yeah. yeah. Um, I think... Um, one of those had actually signed for Luton at that point and two of them were loanies. Can't remember, but yeah, so um, we'll see. Who knows? Will we be going to Wembley? We've really talked this up now, mate. <laughs> yeah. All roads lead to Oxford. When they lose 4-0 at Oxford on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. But whatever happens on Tuesday, we'll be there. We're bringing all the updates. Bring, uh, we're we're going to cover the game fully and uh, you know have a look at what the uh, future might hold for some of the Norwich Academy players. So um, that's about it for uh, today's pod. I'll just remind you that this is brought to you by Arch and Podcasts and if you are interested in advertising or sponsoring with us, then uh, please do get in touch with matt.withers at archon.co.uk. That's withers, W-I-T-H-E-R-S. He's the man in charge of our podcasts these days. And uh, as always, this is your podcast as much as it is ours. So if you'd like to get in touch with us, as the guys did earlier, if you've ever got any questions, then you can tweet us, tweet them to us at Pinkin or on Facebook at The Pinkin, or you can drop us an email to thepinkin at archon.co.uk. I'm sure you can find us. We're, we're pretty much on every platform. But if you've got ever anything that you think we should be discussing or any comments, then please do um, please do get in touch. Um, we will catch up with you guys. Um, if there's enough to talk about during the second half of the international break, then perhaps, although I'm off that week, so um, that might be a bit of a struggle. So it may, it may well be the other side of Manchester City the next part, but we, we shall see how the international goes. So thank you very much for uh, listening today, and we will catch up with you soon.